Good morning, everyone. There's an expression I've been hearing a lot lately. Truth be told, I've said it myself, and maybe you have too. It's an expression of frustration, of weariness, of the fatigue many people are feeling as we cope with just trying to do our work, manage our homes, and just deal with life during this crazy time. The phrase is, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I mean, have you felt that way? I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for Zoom meetings 10 hours a day. I didn't sign up with you know, trying to teach children over the internet. I didn't sign up for socially distant graduations or weddings. I didn't set up, sign up for wearing a mask 24 seven. I didn't sign up for this. Have you felt that? Because I sure have. This is not what I thought the year 2020 was going to be like. This is not what I wanted for my personal life. It's not what I wanted for our church. And I must have slept through the class in seminary on how to lead a church through a pandemic. I didn't sign up for this. The fun has been squeezed out of so many things. I mean, you can't even go to a baseball game or dine inside a restaurant. And I sense that the frustration is still building, especially because we don't know when this will all be over, if ever. We don't know what really lies ahead in the fall. Is what we're going through, you know, just an interruption or is it a disruption? An interruption or a disruption? An interruption means at some point we'll just go back to our old normal and these past few uh, months will just be a bad memory. A disruption means we won't go back. We will have to go ahead into a different kind of daily life, a different kind of a reality. The fact is we don't know what life is going to be like six months from now, and that's frustrating. I didn't sign up for this. I have a sister who's uh, two years older than me. She was rummaging through a box of family memorabilia, found some letters that I had wrote to her the summer between my eighth and ninth grade year when she worked as a nanny for one of our aunts in Wisconsin. In the letter, I mentioned that I just started reading J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, you've probably heard of it. You probably know the main story, probably through the popular movies. You know, Frodo Baggins is a hobbit. It's an imaginary race similar to humans, but they're of small size and have very hairy feet. Frodo, uh, the white wizard Gandalf, and their companions set out on a quest to destroy an ancient evil ring and kind of break the power of this terrible darkness that has spread across their land. The time is bleak, their enemy evil and powerful, their journey fraught with dangers. What they know and love is being destroyed right before their eyes, but they have to carry on because destroying the ring is their only hope. At one point, the sadness of it all comes over Frodo and he says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf responds, so do I. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. I wish it need not have happened in my time. Isn't that our situation? We didn't sign up for this. We didn't pick it, we didn't want it, but here it is, and Gandalf's advice fits us too. All we have to do is to decide what to do with the time that is given to us. That's all we can do. Decide how we are going to live. How will we live in this disruptive moment? How will we respond to this evil darkness around us? What will we do? Who will we be? How will we embrace this season that we're in to, and do our best to adapt and kind of live for Jesus in this time that we did not want? The Beatitudes are our way forward. The Beatitudes are our path forward. 
Living Jesus's kingdom way has always been the answer to darkness, and it will continue to be the answer. Whether what we're going through is just a short-term interruption or a long-term disruption, the qualities Jesus wants us to embrace are still the same even as we adapt to the changes in our outside world. The Beatitudes are the path forward. And if you've been with us these past few weeks, you know that we're in this message series on these eight simple statements from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 that we call the Beatitudes. Except what we're discovering is that they are not so simple. I've described them as being like a series of eight swinging rings, and you have to go uh, to one ring in order to reach the next. You've got to embrace and live the first beatitude before you can move on to the second and so forth. So let me just recap what's gone on so far. Jesus started with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit, those who understand their spiritual poverty before God, who now throw themselves completely on his mercy. That's number one. You own your spiritual poverty. Number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin, over their own brokenness, who sincerely turn to God with empty hands. Those who mourn, those who sincerely repent and seek to live a new life. And today, the third beatitude from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, man, this is another head scratcher. Blessed are the meek? That just doesn't seem right. Who wants to be meek? Meekness sounds like weakness. And we live in a world that worships power and rejects any evidence of weakness. I mean, that's just blood in the water. And friends, the sharks are circling. Meek people, they get pushed aside. They get ignored, stepped on, or stepped over. I mean, what comes to your mind when you hear the word meek? A shy, soft-spoken person with a limp handshake? Someone who fades into the wallpaper, hardly noticed? If you grew up in the church, your mind might go to that old lullaby hymn for children written by Charles Wesley. Begins, Gentle Jesus meek and mild, look upon this little child. When you put meek and mild together, it gives the impression of being feeble and flimsy and fragile. Like those old-fashioned Sunday school portraits of Jesus, you know, with his long wispy hair and the pale complexion, his moody eyes staring off into the distance. If that's what meekness means, well, that doesn't sound like something that I would want to pursue. It doesn't sound like something that I would highly value or really want to go after in life doesn't sound like something that's actually going to help us live effectively during a global pandemic. Now, Wesley himself wasn't that way, so maybe his word choice in the lullaby was based on, you know, just finding a word that rhymed with child. I don't know. But mild takes us in the wrong direction if we're trying to understand how Jesus understood the meaning of the word meek. It would have been better if Wesley had used the word wild, gentle Jesus, meek and wild. That actually would have been a better choice, as we'll see in just a minute. Now, to understand any single word in the Bible, you need to do what's called a word study. You go back and you see how that word was used in other places in the Bible, and if you're able, in other ancient Greek or Hebrew literature outside of the Bible. The, the people in Jesus' day would have understood this word that Jesus used, praeus, 
they would have understood that that word gets translated as meek here, but they would have understood it in three primary ways. First, the word was used to describe a soothing medicine. Second, it was used as a refreshing ocean breeze. And third, described a wild horse that is tamed and brought under control with a bridle. All of these images are really primarily images of controlled strength. Controlled strength, and that's how Jesus wants his people to live, with a sense of controlled strength. Think of a soothing medicine. Medicine is actually very powerful. Medicine has the power to work in the body, can lower your blood pressure, fight infection, strengthen organ function, do all kinds of things. I mean, how many medications are you on right now? And what might happen in your life or in your body if you didn't have those medications? Those medications are releasing a type of controlled power into your body. If you don't think that medicine is powerful, just wait and see who puts out the first effective COVID-19 vaccine. Talk about power. Whoever solves that puzzle first will at that moment be the most influential person or people in the entire world. So Prius is power put to good use. Think about wind. If you were here in New Jersey in 2005 for Hurricane Katrina, you know about the power of wind. But think about wind under control, the ancient sailor's wind that fills the sails and powered ships to cross oceans, or the soothing power of a good ocean breeze on a miserably hot beach day. Refreshing, restoring, relaxing. There's power even in a gentle breeze. And third, the power of a tamed horse. Have you ever watched a cowboy trying to ride a bucking bronco? The horse goes crazy trying to get the rider off its back. Did you know there's a, actually a rodeo down in South Jersey called Cowtown? It's in a place called Pilestown. Don and I went once. It was a lot of fun. And you can tell it was actually a definitely date night for many young Amish couples. But a horse is a powerful animal. An out-of-control horse can be dangerous. I had a woman in my previous church who was an experienced equestrian but she almost died when she got bucked off a horse she was trying to ride bareback. In the emergency room, I actually saw the outline of the horseshoe around her ear where the bucking horse accidentally stomped on her head. Horses are powerful. But when a horse is subdued or trained under bit and bridle, its great strength is under control. In Jeremiah 2, verse 23, God compares our fallen human nature to the impulsive behavior of wild camels and donkeys that by nature are just stubborn and out of control. We are that bucking bronco that refuses a rider. We are the out of control ones who refuse to let God rule over our rebellious hearts. We don't want the medicine. We don't want the refreshing wind. We don't want to be bridled by God in any way. We don't want to yield control to the Lord. Now, people can, by their own self-effort, learn to moderate their tempers. You can learn to count to 10 before you get angry. You can be enough of a stoic person to appear to be calm, you know, on the outside. But what Jesus is talking about is not just trying harder to be nice. He's not talking about moderating your tone or controlling your sharp tongue. Those are, might be positive side effects of what he's talking about, but he's not promoting any kind of self-effort. He's talking about surrender. We are the wild horse. That's our nature. Now that we recognize our spiritual poverty, now that we're mourning over our sin, if we want to become useful to God, then we have to be under his control. We have to submit 
to his authority. Meekness for Jesus is more than just strength controlled. Meekness is strength surrendered. Meekness is strength surrendered. Your strength surrendered to something greater. Not your strength neutered. That's kind of what people think meekness means. No, not neutered, but your strength surrendered to something greater. Meekness is your strength harnessed for the good of the kingdom. Jesus says, that's meekness. The words that's translated as meekness here in Matthew is 5 is used throughout the Bible. It's often translated as gentleness, humility, calmness, or peaceful. It's used to describe one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit listed by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.22. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gentleness, same word Jesus used in this beatitude. Think of someone who's self-opinionated, who throws his or her weight around, who is short-tempered, demanding, inconsiderate, sort of self-absorbed, who always insists on his or her own way. Meekness is the opposite. Warren Wearsby writes that meekness is the means by which God delivers us from pride and harshness, turmoil, aggression, and vengeance. Jesus is calling us to something wonderful here. He's calling us to a liberation of sorts. Think about what control, controlled strength could mean in your life. Your strength, strengths under God's control. Growing in meekness will subdue your impulsiveness, control your anger, will change the way you speak, the way you treat people, give you control over your harsh words and your sharp put-downs. Growing in meekness will channel your best energies in better ways. Growing in meekness leads to greater contentment, greater peace, as you get used to the hand of God over your life and your circumstances. Growing in meekness positions you to be used by God. And best of all, growing in meekness means becoming more like Jesus himself. There are a lot of characters in the Bible who display this quality of meekness or controlled strength, of strength surrendered to God. Numbers 12.3 actually says, Now Moses was a very meek man, more meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's quite a statement. Other translations use the word humble. Moses was meek, but he definitely wasn't weak. He was a force to be reckoned with because his strength was surrendered to God. I could cite other examples in the Bible, but you know the prime example of what Jesus is talking about is Jesus himself. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you, Learn of me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Meek, gentle, controlled strength. We see that controlled strength in Jesus in John chapter 2. Remember, Jesus stood outside the, the great temple in Jerusalem, and he was outraged at the way it had been turned into a corrupt marketplace with inflated prices that gouged the poor. So outraged that he started flipping tables and drove out the money changers. But there's a little verse tucked in John 2.15. There's a little phrase tucked in there that says, Jesus made a whip. That means he didn't just go ballistic. He, just, he wasn't just a pot that suddenly boiled over. He was in control. He was intentional. He took time to weave together strips of leather to make a whip and then let it fly like Indiana Jones. I mean, that's controlled strength. In Luke chapter 4, there's a great story about how the religious leaders of his day were so upset with Jesus that they forcibly marched him out of town all the way to a cliff 
with the intention of throwing him off the ledge. It reads, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I love that. They got right up to the edge and not one inch further. That's enough. Jesus let him go just so far. And then he said, that's enough. A little bit of his divine power came out, shook their hands off of him, turned, and he walked right through the crowd like a hot knife through butter. He could have roasted all of them right then and there, could have, but he didn't. Controlled strength. See Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in agonizing prayer because he knows the cross lies before him. But he exhibits controlled strength as he submits to the will of the Father. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26, 39. That's meekness. Jesus submitting himself to the will of the Father at unimaginable cost. Meekness is not weakness. And at the cross, when it was finally his time for sacrifice, when he went through the mock trial, the beatings, the humiliation of the guards, 1 Peter 2.23 says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's controlled strength. Makes me think of what we sometimes see on TV recently. So many police officers who are standing in a line while protesters come right up into their faces, often spitting, cursing, hurling insults. I mean, they're actually trying to provoke some kind of a violent response from the police so that they can get it on video and then put it out on social media. And the police officers take it. That's controlled strength. So how do we develop this kind of meekness, this kind of controlled strength? Well, it has to do with submission. Submission. Now, that's not a popular word either. But think of it this way. If you divide the word submission into two parts, sub and mission, you put your life mission under the mission of someone or something else. It's, it's submission. You put your life's mission below or under the authority of the kingship of Jesus. And we do that in three quick ways. All you have to do, uh, and all of them have to do with the way that we submit ourselves to God's greater authority. The first is submitting to the authority of God's word over your life. In Romans 1.21, the Apostle Paul says, receive with meekness, there's that word again, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Meekness means allowing God's word to shape what you believe and direct what you do. We don't just pick and choose Bible verses, the ones we like and the ones that fit our preconceived ideas and forget about the rest. We submit to the authority of Scripture over our lives. We do not, we do not stand in judgment over Scripture. Scripture judges us. We are shaped by it, and we begin to put it into practice. So like when Paul says in Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. There's that word again. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. When he says that kind of stuff, well, we hold God's word up to our lives like a mirror, and we have to examine our own behavior and ask, am I doing those things? Am I living that way? Am I living humble, gentle, patient? Do I bear with others in love? 
Am I maintaining the bonds of peace in the body of Christ? Or am I divisive? Am I impatient? Am I critical? Do I submit my ideas, my beliefs, my politics to God's word? Or do I rebel against it? Do you let God's word shape who you are? Secondly, meekness means submitting to God's will. There are times when God will put you in a place that you would not have chosen for yourself. I mean, that's all of us right now, right? Nobody wants it, but it is what it is. But you could also be in difficult circumstances at work or home or with family or with the church, even without the pandemic. It's important to know the difference between what is kind of within our circle of influence, those things that we can actually do something about, and to know what is in our circle of concern, things that we care about, but they're outside our circle of, of our direct control. Because those are two very different things. Most of our anxiety gets shifted to the things in our circle of concern that are really outside of our circle of influence. I, I can't fix the global pandemic, and neither can you. I can't fix the economy, neither can you. There are things that are completely beyond my control, but I can wear a mask. I can monitor my own actions and how I might contribute to spreading the virus if I'm not careful. We might chafe at the circumstances, but ultimately we need to surrender both to the things in our circle of influence and our circle of concern. We need to surrender those to the Lord. And that ain't easy. Can we be meek enough to accept the circumstances that are beyond our control? without becoming bitter or despondent or angry. How are you doing with your circumstances this week? Can you imagine surrendering your circumstances to the will of God? So submitting to God's word, submitting to God's will, how about submitting to God's people? In Ephesians 5, Paul describes what it looks like when God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with joy, they sing to each other, they're thankful, and then they submit to each other. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is to be a distinguishing mark for those who are filled with the Spirit. But Western Christianity, we're sort of infected with this ungodly tendency towards independence and being autonomous and self-directed and disconnected. The whole idea of an independent church was born in America. Churches that are proudly not connected or accountable to anybody else. Well, friends, that flies in the face of Scripture. What it means is that they don't play well with others, or they think they know better than anybody else in the whole world, or they don't want anybody else looking over their shoulder on how they operate their church and their money and all that kind of stuff. But being a disciple means entering into a committed relationship with other followers of Jesus. There are to be no Lone Ranger Christians, no Lone Ranger churches. We should desire accountable relationships within the body of Christ. And this is one of our cornerstone beliefs in the Presbyterian heritage. And our new denomination, the ECO, that is the essence of what it means to be a covenant order. We need accountable relationships within the body of Christ where we submit our authority to the authority of others over us. I would never want to pastor an independent church. It's too easy for a pastor's ego just to take over. I need the accountability of other pastors and they need it from me. So in this world of rampant individualism, this becomes a serious question because how can you submit to other believers as God desires if you're not willing to be a committed member of a local church? Just saying. American Christians increasingly are moving away from this kind of commitment to the body of Christ. Folks want to keep their options open. 
Don't want anybody else telling them what to do or to hold them accountable for their actions. I mean, sure, there have been bad examples of cult figures who manipulate that kind of submission, but those groups usually have nobody over them, and that's how they got off track in the first place. It is hard to submit to each other in the body of Christ, especially when there are issues of conflict and tension. Christians who come from different perspectives, who come from different political parties, who come from different races. How are we supposed to live together in the body of Christ when confronted with a problem or an issue? It's just easier to walk away. Plenty of other churches out there, so easy just to be semi-committed somewhere else than to do the hard work of really being the body of Christ together. It's easy to go somewhere else until they dissatisfy you in some way and then you move on again. There are many, many migratory Christians who just move from church to church. A little later in Matthew 5, Jesus points out the importance of this kind of mutual submission in the body of Christ. He says in verse 23, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So you're in worship, and you're mad at somebody else in the church because of their social media posts. They've got a different opinion than you do, and you're mad about that. And you don't go, and you don't reconcile with them, then you are not doing what Jesus wants you to do. You are not submitting within the body of Christ. Meekness means to practice a pattern in your life where you don't walk away because it's difficult or uncomfortable. You don't carry a grudge because somebody said or did something that bent your nose out of joint. You fix it. Meekness grows in you when you choose to submit yourself to the greater health of the body of Christ and not, not just your own opinion and not just when you get your way. Jesus says, leave your offering and go and be reconciled to your brother. Nope, easier to find a new church. In this stressful time that we're in right now, there are a lot of broken edges, a lot of sharp edges, and people are unintentionally wounding each other. Christians are alienating each other, and that compromises the witness of the church. Meekness matters. Meekness, this controlled strength, submitting to God's word, to God's will, to God's people. Live this way, Jesus says, trusting God and submitted to him. To inherit the earth, that simply means that when you live submitted to God in this way, you don't have to be afraid of anybody or anything because God's in control. To inherit the earth means God reigns as king over you, your impulses, your strengths, and your circumstances. Again, Warren Wiersbe writes, The meek own everything because they're submitted to the God who made everything and who controls everything. Meekness, that third ring. In the spiritual life, Jesus says the starting point, first ring is to realize you're spiritually poor, that you don't have what it takes when you come before him. And you come before him empty-handed. Once you see your need, the second ring of spiritual mourning will be within your reach. Swinging onto that second ring, you count the cost of your sins, honestly grieving with humility, but also grieving with great hope in the mercy of Jesus. You experience the gift of repentance. When that happens, the third ring of meekness is now within your grasp. Meekness arises from both spiritual poverty and spiritual mourning. The person who sees how often he or she has been mistaken 
will not insist on always having their own way. They can express an opinion and then listen to the opinions and the wisdom of others. Seeing your own sins clearly will make you more malleable in God's hands. You live in submission where you surrender yourself, your circumstances to his greater mission. You become kinder and gentler with the sins and faults of others. You don't insist on your own way all the time. You function with a healthy way within the body of Christ. Meekness, your strength surrendered to God's control. Now, we didn't sign up for this, but Christ is with us, and in his meekness, we will see it through. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're leading us down a path of effective living in troubled times so that we could know our spiritual poverty. We could mourn over our sins, but then we can also turn and see as we surrender our strengths to you, Lord, you raise us up and walk with us and enable us to encounter each other in a healthier way in the body of Christ. Help us to really embrace this idea of our strengths submitted to you, our strengths under your control. Meekness is not weakness, Lord. Meekness is power surrendered to Jesus Christ. And we do that now. In your name we pray. Amen.